Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. So much to talk about again this week. What an amazing time it is for film and television and everything else. So I'm really excited with what we're going to talk about this week. What about you? There is a lot going on. And out of curiosity, Hollister, have you been watching This Is Us? Of course. What are you kidding? I'm obsessed. I love that show as well. But can you assure me that Jack is not going to die from a drinking problem? No, I cannot. Oh, no. Do you No, but I can't tell you that he is. But I certainly can tell you that he's not. I can tell you that I'm up to date, as you probably are not. And so far, we don't know for sure the reason for his death. Yet. All now, right. by the way, this, this, all right, let me just ask this question though. Do you need me to reach out to you should you stop watching it? I have faith in the creators of the show that they won't completely torpedo me. So I guess I will keep going. But I did look for some happy news just to self medicate the minute I saw Jack get the drink in that booth on that episode a couple of weeks ago. But did you, I'm sure you saw, we got a message from Lori in Boston with the news that Ted Sarandos from Netflix yeah. told the UK's press association there have been preliminary talks about a second season of the Gilmore Girls revival. Well, where's the question? I mean, that you know, that's not even <laughs> optional. And I'm sure you saw as well, Lauren Graham is going to star in the new Fox comedy, Linda from HR. As in human resources? As in human resources. So here's the little synopsis. The last line totally cracked me up. Okay, they're pitching it as a high-concept family comedy that explores the one bad decision that throws Linda's i.e. Lauren Graham's, monotonous, unfulfilled life into an exciting but dangerous tailspin. Oh. Okay, now here's the last sentence. The comedy is part family comedy and part Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot, so so dark that I had to stop watching it halfway through. I was too depressed. See, and all I know about Mr. Robot is what I read from your written review on ScreenThoughts.net. Well, (laughs) is that why you didn't watch it? I really worry about you sometimes, <laughs> I know. You can worry oh, okay, about me Pollyanna full-time. Girl. It's a full-time okay, job. Well. But over over in Shondaland, Lauren Graham's real-life beau, Peter Krause, The Catch just started its second season on March well, 9th. And I'm sure you were in the I front not, row, right, I did Hollister? not get into that show. You know, the only Shonda show I really like was Grey's Anatomy, and frankly... I just, I watch it because I'm a loyal person. You know, I feel like we're married and I don't want to get divorced. We're just going to live together sort of separately for a while. <laughs> and, you know, but I, no, I haven't, I have not gotten, you know, I watched the first scandal season, but, you know, just not my thing. Okay. Now, speaking of trying to proselytize you, I heard a rumor that you have been watching The Good Fight. I have, yes. Look at you. Why, it tells me what a great mentor you are. Brought to us by Robert and Michelle King from The Good Wife. I just saw the third episode, and I was so excited because I'm sure you saw Jane Alexander plays the judge in the third episode, and we're going to meet her in a couple of weeks at the River Run International Film Festival in North Carolina. We are, yeah. She's going to be down there. It's mm-hmm. going to be very exciting, yes. But also, every single judge in it so far has been a noteworthy actor, and I'm loving the show. Really highly recommend it to anybody who will watch. And the actors they attract, I mean, Broadway great Bernadette Peters, who I've loved recently on Mozart in the Jungle. I was so glad to see Sarah Steele is back, yeah. playing Christine yeah. Baranski's assistant, who I loved as the daughter in Spanglish. Yes, no, it's This Is Us and The Good Fight, in my mind, are the two best shows that came out this season in network television. 
you know, by far and away. Now, Hollister, I will let you have the airwaves, but this was all my way of bearing my lead. I have a confession to make. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I had to good. warm up no, wait, to I've it. I've already made on our podcast, our 200 or whatever, 100 and whatever podcasts we've done, I've made 100 million confessions and you've never showed one inch of your dark side. So go ahead. Let's see what it is. Guess what movie I just saw in a theater. Um, did, did you go to Fifty Shades Fifty Shades Darker? I did go to Fifty Shades Darker, oh and I thought God. I, I could do I it a it. little anonymously. I had my dark glasses and my bar name, and they asked if I had a loyalty card. What made card. you do that? Would you have a bad date or something? What was a it? A good friend of mine is nine months pregnant. I mean, she is seriously expecting any day. What, she thought this would put her into labor? Well, she assured me she had no spicy food before seeing the movie, but she really wanted to see it. And when a friend is nine months pregnant and say they, you know, they want to go to Fifty Shades Darker, who am I to turn down that request? I'm sure she thought it would put her into labor, but I'm sure it didn't. I'm so glad it did not because I was like, please do not make this movie any more meaningful. Okay, this was so not a confession. You know, a confession would have been that something like, not only that, I stayed and watched it a second time. That would have been a confession. <laughs> but this is not you confessing anything. You went because oh. a friend made you go and she's nine months pregnant. So really, you couldn't have no choice, but you had to, you know, support Fair enough. her. But it was worth the price of admission because she then, you know, blithely announces that Kim Basinger once stayed in her father's house. And we went with another friend and she said, yeah, Marsha Gay Harden married her uncle or something like that. And I never would have known. Two us. Oscar winners. We were all brought together well, by Fifty go. Shades Darker. There you go. So there, you know, there you have it. Now, I have a couple things too. Let's just start with the fact that they just finished shooting A Wrinkle in Time, which is Ava uh, DuVernay's latest film. Oprah's playing Mrs. Witch. She has been busy, that Ava I know, DuVernay. That girl's My an goodness. actor. I know. You know how I feel about that. And Reese Witherspoon uh, plays the lead, and it's going to be coming out in early 2018. But the screenplay was by Jennifer Lee, who wrote Frozen. And I don't know about you, but I loved the books A Wrinkle in Time when I was growing up. And so I can't wait to see what they do with it. And I think that kind of writer who could put together a Frozen will probably do a great job with that. No question, right? Well, speaking of Reese Witherspoon and coming back to Fifty Shades Darker, I have been watching Big Little Lies. Are you still watching on HBO? Why are you even asking that? Of course I am. Of course you are. Okay. Well, in our podcast, a person I meant to give a shout out to, and I don't think I remembered, was Zoe Kravitz, who plays Bonnie, the yoga instructor. Yes. She is the daughter of Lenny Kravitz and Lisa Bonet from the Cosby Show, Mm -hmm. which makes her the granddaughter of Helen on the Jeffersons. And this reminded me a little bit of Dakota Johnson in Fifty Shades Darker, where not only are both her parents actors, but Tippi Hedren, of course, being her grandmother. This was the thing that just cracked me up. I remember reading about this back when I was reading your review of The Hunger Games with Jennifer Lawrence, where, you know how Lenny Kravitz was also in The the Hunger Games franchise? I do. And everybody else was so excited to have a rock star on the set, and J-Law always called him... Mr. Kravitz, <laughs> because she's, That's so her. Yeah. she's, well, she's besties with his daughter, Zoe Kravitz from Big Little <laughs> well, Lies. So they've huh. known each other forever. And, you know, of course, that's her dad. What else is she going to call him? Mr. Kravitz. Um, I bet you anything, uh, Jennifer Lawrence would have liked to have been in that show. 
Oh, in Big Little Lies. I yeah. bet you're right. I think she. I, I think it right. would have. It it sort of fits where she'd like to be going, et cetera, et cetera. You know. So I, mm-hmm. I think she might have liked it. Now I have something of great concern to myself. You ready? Oh, okay. So. I was watching Girls this week, and I know not everybody's following it, but those of you who are, uh, there's a big, you know, twist in Girls this week, and I'm going to say it out loud. So if you if you're not up to date on Girls and you watch it, then turn us off for the next minute or so. But um, she's pregnant. Lena Dunham. Yeah, in Girl in the in the, in the show, she's pregnant. <laughs> Her character's yeah. pregnant. Okay, and do you know who okay. the father is? Uh, it doesn't matter. The father's irrelevant. Okay, here's what's bothering me about well, this. Well, you know where I stand on this. I think it's so self-involved. Maybe there is no father. Maybe she's learned to finally just auto-create. Okay, um, you know, aside from your acerbic tongue around Lena Dunham, <laughs> which just shows that you can't move beyond your own personal bias to look at her greatness. But, okay, here's what's bothering me. So here we are in the last season of Girls, and then we have the Gilmore Girls that wrapped up, and what happened in the Gilmore Girls? She got pregnant. Okay, That's right. what is there? Is there something about, and by the way, both of these shows were written by women. Okay, what? you ha- The only way you grow up is to get pregnant if you're a woman? Is this the easy way out of growing up for, for shows that, that are trying to take a journey with a young woman into her adulthood? What, we well, end up pregnant? I, you know, both of might, them ending up pregnant. It might secure pre- another season just to see where the child ends up. It's kind both of like of them, guaranteeing a franchise. Both of them ending up pregnant, in, in my mind as a feminist, is really very irritating. I think that it's not, a you know, it's, there's no joking about, well, you know, that means they can have another show around the corner. I think this is an easy way out for determining how a person is judged as, quote, a grown-up. And I'm just, I'm shocked that Lena Dunham took that stance. And I'm, I was shocked when, I remember I watched the last episode of Gilmore Girls with my daughter, who's 30, who it very much relates to Rory and Gilmore Girls, and she was furious that that was the ending. And I mean, well, she is thirty. I mean, there's whole swaths of the world population where they find thirty high time to be having a child if you if you want one. Well, but that's not the point, though. That's the point is it almost means okay, the way you become a grown up is to have a baby. Is both is the way it was portrayed. And I don't know how Lena Dunham's going to take it out because there's still a couple of episodes left in her last in her last um, uh, season. But I just wanted to go on record as saying, you know, let's not make this a trend. You know what I mean? Like. We don't need to have, you know, everybody getting pregnant, and that's why we end these series that are about young women coming into themselves. Fair enough. And then the next thing is... But in the Gilmore Girls revival, Rory was almost twice the age Lorelai had been when she had Rory. Yeah, but, you know, I don't care. You know, the, 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 the series on Gilmore Girls this time around was supposed to be about how Rory comes into her own, into being, quote, a grown up. And so it, it doesn't have to follow her mother's path. Here she was struggling to find her way in business. And and the way they ended it is, well, now she's pregnant, so she, we don't have to worry about how that's going to end up. It's just very but irritating. But she did get an extra 14, 15, 16 years of adulthood than Lorelai ever got. I don't, I don't even know what to say with that comment, O'Toole. She got an extra fifteen years well, of no, adult. No, you say you, you know it's all about Rory coming into her own, but she had a long time to come into her own. I mean, she's in her thirties. What? So she's you, not you sixteen. Have, you, yeah, but 
you come into your own and then you have a child? I, you know, I don't, I don't I don't know that that's the Listen, life path. Listen, I'm clearly that. not anyone that says sociologically yeah. you need to reproduce yeah, I, to I be just an think adult. It's a, I think it's a cheap way out and I didn't like it. And that's, I'm going to stick by that. So, and the next thing that's sort of exciting is Song to Song is coming out next Friday. Ryan Gosling and Natalie Portman, you know, it was six years in the making. And I, I posted it on our Facebook page and I, I hope we're going to review it this week because it does look like it's enormous in terms of bunches of layers of what's going on in there. So Song to Songs coming out this Friday. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Now, do you think I have a chance of understanding a Terrence Malick plot? I don't know. Do you? Maybe. I One mean, can only hope. I think he yeah. might hold the record for the number of actors he has directed who have given interviews on the talk show circuit promoting their films who don't know what their movies were about that have already wrapped. Well, you know, he also there are major, major actors who have been in his films who found that they were not in his film at all, even after they spent a month on set because he totally wrote out, cut out their entire, entire part. So, I mean, you never know what's coming with him, but I'm very excited to see it and I'm hoping we'll be reviewing it this week. And then I read this article on The Economist about, uh, on indie films and it... It was so interesting because it was talking about how everybody, it appears as if this is a great time for indie films to be coming out. And Manchester by the Sea was, a, you know, was up for six Oscars. And, you know, was, that was the, the, you know, darling of the Sundance Film Festival. And, um, you know, it earned $46 million in movie theaters, you know, a while ago. So it's much more than that, but it only cost $8 million to to shoot and then Amazon bought the distribution rights so so all of these things are happening the break in which was a horror film shot for twenty dollars on an iPhone right wow. <laughs> oh, but I know right the break in which was shot by this guy Dustin Dosher I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not but it's already brought him in tens of thousands of dollars and, and more than a half a million people watched it on Amazon streaming video platform on um, YouTube so you know so there's all these stories around it but then Chris Moore who by the way you remember him because he's a major partner with um I've met Chris Moore. Yeah. Well so he, you know, he he was one of the producers of Manchester by the Sea and he he said he compared the output of indie films which I thought was really interesting to trees falling in the forest and nobody's making a dollar off this business he says but I'm I'm sure he's being dramatique etc but um but if you look about it, there's there's been, for the investments made in independent films, 45 cents on the dollar has been returned. So in the overall investments of indie films, the return on the dollar has been very, very, very low. So in 2006, two-thirds of 675 films that reported box office results earned less than a million dollars. Okay, one of the problems, apparently, is people aren't going to the movies as often, especially because this young millennial generation coming up, they do everything on their phones and they're all everybody's using Netflix and everything else. So people aren't going to the to the movies as much as they were. But it's definitely going to be a a major trend shift as we move forward, you know, and I thought it was such interesting information in there about independent films really was mind-blowing. You know, Chris Moore has said some very interesting things about the industry. And he said, imagine, you know how in Hollywood, every time you make a movie, no matter how successful it is, you have to continually prove yourself over and over again, because it's such a speculative business, you can always have a flop. He said, imagine if you're a world-renowned heart surgeon, and every time you went into operate, you had to apply all over again from scratch. 
I know. I can't even imagine. Can you? It, no, I, I can't. It's a, it's a tough yeah. business. So I just I just sort of thought it gave a moment of pause. And while I recognize that more and more indie films are being made because people can, and they can raise money on, you know, uh, GoFundMe and places like that. So more films are being made than ever before. But they do have to be able to make a living doing this, you know, being participants in this industry. So make sure you're not using those online streaming freebie things. You know, make sure that whatever films you're watching, you're paying for if you need to. Okay, so our list of six this week yes. is, yes, great child performances by those under the age of 10. Now, Hollister, and what inspired you? I like the topic, but what inspired I don't know. you? I have no idea what inspired me. But I'm going to start it off, okay. and I'm going to start with Dakota Fanning as Lucy and I Am Sam. Oh, okay. Okay, do you remember her performance in I Am Sam? You know, I never saw I Am Sam, but that's the one with okay, Sean Penn. I, I, yes, it's mm-hmm. with Sean Penn, and I think she was around eight years old, and she plays the daughter of Sean Penn, who uh, is a disabled, uh, mentally disabled gentleman who raises her, and then, of course, they come in and they want to take her away because he doesn't have the mental capacity to take her into her teens, which clearly he did. But interestingly enough, you know, he won an Academy Award for his performance, and I, I've read a lot that he was one of the reasons her performance was so strong. It was her debut performance, by the way. She, this was her first film that she did. And Shailene Woodley uh, um, auditioned for the role, but she lost it to Dakota Fanning. Which I, I thought was interesting. I am so enjoying Shailene Woodley's performance in Big Little Lies. I know. She's very, very good. And, and already and played Dakota, a mother. I know. And Dakota's little sister, Elle, played her at the age at age three in the movie. So that was Elle's first performance wow. on film, too. Quite a, quite a fanning family, you know, fan am I. You know, I just, <laughs> I just think they're really, really good. So that's my first one. What about you? Okay. I'm going to go with John Morgan. On I'll Fly Away. That was his screen name. In real life, it's John Aaron Bennett. And I remember meeting the woman who cast him. I was at a film festival in Georgia, and this woman, she's done so much casting in the South. Clint Eastwood has her on speed dial, and she was giving a really interesting talk about how tough some of the phone calls are that she gets, where a director will call her up and say, you know, I need a left-handed Chinese-American actor who can play a musical instrument and a sport. You know, it was very interesting to hear what she has to go through in terms of finding these actors who are perfect for their parts. But he's one where I actually know people who've had children because they thought, if I could have a kid like John Morgan, I think I'm up for this task. I don't know the film. When, when, when did this film come it out? It was a TV show, I'll Fly Away. Oh, mm-hmm. oh I, I don't know it, huh? So good for him. Yeah, of course, he's now uh, six now foot did he... one and married. Yeah. And so when when did the TV show come out? It was in the 90s. And then uh, oh, it was one that huh. went off the air. And so many people were so distraught because it was such high quality television. PBS brought it back after a huge petition campaign. Wow. Mm-hmm. Great. Yep. That's a good one. Okay, I'm going to move to Justin Henry in Kramer versus Kramer. That Jane Alexander was in. She was. And also, of course, Dustin Hoffman, who apparently held Justin's hand through the whole thing. Now, Justin... Um, uh, Justin Henry went to school in Rye, New York, and the director and one of the people trying to find who this young talent was going to be went up there to watch the kids play in the playground of the public uh, elementary school in Rye, New York, and that's how they found him. You're and kidding me. 
I know. And then, of course, uh, he went out to L.A. to be, you know, to find his way afterward. He was the youngest, still is the youngest person ever nominated for an Academy Award. And he plays the younger brother in 16 Candles, like 10 years later. But uh, but I think his performance in that was brilliant. And that ice, do you remember the ice cream scene? Everybody, of course, when you think I of Kramer do. versus. Yeah, mm-hmm. part of that he had lived. And um, he really, like, really, really took that on himself. And uh, so he, he did a great job in that. So I, I went with Justin Henry. I like that Mike Nichols let those actors ad-lib. Yeah. Meryl, Dustin, yeah. you know. All of them, yep. Yeah. Now, your, mm-hmm. your turn. You go. Okay. I'm going to go with Rudy on The Cosby Show, played by Keisha Knight-Pulliam, who was only five when huh. she joined the series as the youngest Huxtable daughter. You know, that's a lot of, of uh, time for a five-year-old to stay on task in a six-month period, you know? It, it really is. is. And yep. at the age of six... She became the youngest actress to ever be nominated for an Emmy. Hmm. Did mm-hmm. she win it? She did not, but I really thought she was cute on that okay. show. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna end with uh, Drew Barrymore, who was um, six when when she played uh, Gertie in E.T. I have to laugh. Her during her audition, she supposedly this is the story. Spielberg said that she wasn't really. She told Spielberg in her interview when she was sitting there talking with them in a very animated way. She wasn't really an actress at all, but you know she was really a drummer of a really loud and menacing punk rock band called the Purple People Eaters, oh. who painted their faces with makeup for every show. And who played in some arena somewhere, <laughs> packed with thousands of people the night before she came to this audition. She went on and on and on with this story, and he thought she can play this part. <laughs> Isn't that great? Wow! I and know. Then, of course, another one from a very storied family of actors, yeah. a multi generational family phenom. Well, it was very hard. She, in later years, as she's been interviewed, she said that she really took him on as a father image. And also everybody, the cast and the crew on E.T. And for nine months, she felt like she had a family for the first time in her life. And then they all went away and she never heard from them again, although she did keep in touch with Spielberg. But and she said it was devastating that she had a really, really hard time coming out of that, being part of this family where she was, you know, the cherished child for so long. And then everybody's gone. I can see that. Yeah. You know, Hollister, I saw a photo this week that just cracked me up. Maybe you posted it. It was Steven Spielberg at a big event, and he was wearing a name tag. Of course, somebody said, wow, even Steven Spielberg dons the name tag. That wasn't me. I didn't know. (laughs) No, it was definitely not me. (laughs) But um, you know what? I think it's good that he should wear a name tag. Yeah. Well, to me, it's like up there with Oprah wearing a name tag, you know? Well, you know, I will tell you, when I was flying back on, I don't know if I've ever told you this story or not. I know I've told you. I don't know if I've told it on the air. But I was flying back on a Swiss Air flight from Geneva to New York, and I was seated next to... Jack Nicholson. Oh. Do you remember this story? I don't think you ever told me this okay. story. So here we are. We're on this eight-hour flight, and I'm cute and young and really, you know, cool. Married, but cute and young. And I didn't know what to do, so I pretended I had no idea who he was. <laughs> so, <laughs> Did you also pretend you were Swiss? 
<laughs> no, but we talked, you know, a good chunk of the flight. We talked. I mean, we, you know, you know, I, I think we read a book. There weren't TVs on, on airplanes back then. This was like in maybe 1988 or 89. But I just pretended I had no I said, oh, what do you do? He said, I'm in, I'm in film. I said, oh, you know, what do you do in film? He said, I'm actually an actor. I said, oh, have I seen you in anything? He said, maybe not. You know, I I was, you know, but I must have been a decent actor because I don't think he knew that I was lying totally. But because what am I supposed to say? Oh, my God, you know, here you are, Jack Nicholson. So I remember sitting there thinking, you're such a fool. Like, you're such an idiot. But that is what I did. So I understand. I have to ask, was he wearing sunglasses on board the flight? Uh, I don't think so. No, he wasn't. Okay. And by wow. and I will also say that the stewardess, um, is which is what she was called back then, she didn't make a big deal of him either. You know, she treated him the same way I did. Like, oh, I have no idea who you are, you businessman, you. Maybe she didn't know. I don't know. Anyway, okay, I'm not sure I even want, you know, uh, maybe the editor should move that out. But that did actually, in fact, happen. And I remember telling my husband when I got home that I had done that. And he said, why did you do that? And I said, I, I don't know. I can't tell you why. <laughs> but I did. Okay, let's move on to our movies this week. I think I get one more choice. Oh, you did? Oh, I'm sorry. We're done. Uh, I'm finished yes, with that. So happens. it's over. You start okay. talking about Jack. I'm sorry. Go and, ahead. Know, go ahead. It's up in the air. Okay. I'm going to go with Jacob Tremblay from Room. Brie Larson I, won You know the what? Oscar. I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were. Yeah. It was such a big role. I mean, he had to really co-carry that film with Brie Larson playing her son, Jack. It's and a I good choice. And I thought he did a yep. tremendous job. All right. Now we're going to move on to our films. And I would like to kick off if I can, because we did a lot of stuff separately this week, I think. But... Um, I, you know, we have uh, somebody who who listens to us uh, down in North Carolina, and her name is Diane, and she asked me, sent an email saying, you know, have you seen Patterson, which is, you know, uh, Adam Driver is the star of Patterson, the movie, and he's from Girls in the movie Silence, yeah. yeah. And, you know, he um, he plays a bus driver. Ready to roll Patterson? Yeah. When you're a child... You learn there are three dimensions, height, width, and depth, like a shoebox. Then later you hear there's a fourth dimension, time. There's sort of a sameness to his life, a boring sameness in my mind, interspersed with um, him writing poetry that seems to me to be a little out of place in the confines of his experience that we viewed. Like, I didn't know how that poetry could come out of his day-to-day experience. It's really very mundane. So she saw it, and she, after I saw it, I sent her an email saying I had seen it, but I wasn't ready to comment because I I just didn't know what to do with this amazing movie. And it was really a movie that O'Toole I wish you had seen because it's really, really smart. And I would love to know what your approach to it would be. But she wrote, she wrote me a note and said, she found it brilliant in its simplicity. I guess a simple movie about simple people being satisfied with living simply and doing a bang up job of it. Using simple, not as an intellectual context, but rather you know, she said she kept waiting for the scene that would pull it all together. And so many films that are so contrived and follow a predictable arc 
And when it does not, she said she was simply stunned. So she had this visceral response to the movie, as did I. But I just, I'm, I'm still not quite sure what my my response was. But but he's very rigid. And, you know, halfway through the film, he's rigid in his day-to-day pattern. Like he gets up at the same time. He has the exact same thing for breakfast. He walks the exact same way, da-da-da-da-da. And he's halfway through the film we see this picture of him in a uniform, which actually, you know, Adam Driver, after 9-11, joined the Marines. and Really? Yeah, he did. And, and they, they show us, though, a picture of him in his uniform. And I couldn't help but wonder if that was why he needed the rigidity of a predictable life, you know, with no surprises or something. He seemed to need it. But there's, a, there's a, so many nuances to this film. Every detail is a nuance. And there was this thing with the mailbox where every day he takes the mail out of the mailbox and then he straightens the mailbox, which is a, sort of leaning a little to the right. And then halfway through the film, we see that the dog sort of goes out and runs out and knocks it crooked every day. And I know there's some, like, meaning to that, but I couldn't figure out what it was. I go through trillions of molecules that move aside to make way for me, while on both sides, trillions more stay where they are. This is Patterson Bus 23. I have a situation. So it's based on, on you know, Patterson, William Carlos William, who's a, you know, poet, and um, he mm-hmm. was actually born in Rutherford, but he wrote a very famous poem called Patterson, which is based on that sort of rigidity, simple life, etc., In Patterson, New Jersey. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what this film is sort of based around. But the the poems were actually written by Ron Padgett, who's, you know, a a living poet with roots in the New York school, which, of course, you know, was influenced by Allen Ginsberg and and his mentor, Williams, and whose most famous member was, you know, Frank O'Hara. So it has a it had the poems that that they use in it have a long lineage of of solid poets but um at the end one guy says uh, at the end of the film i breathe poetry and and i took that to mean and this is me like trying to find some higher meaning in it all i took it to mean that maybe patterson's life was full and rich not because of a life he led but rather that the poetry came out of his imaginary life that could be lived only with a life without any, you know, diversions at all in it. Like the only way you could find that kind of poetry would be if you could live immersed in your own imaginary life, which I felt like he had to do to treat his wife as kindly as he did when I thought she was sort of a jerk. And some reviewer wrote that, you know, it's a less a lesson in uh in not letting stuff get in the way of your life. And I like to say to people, you know, that's a diversionary explosion. I do it a lot in business. You know, don't let a diversionary explosion take you off the path of the course of where your company's headed. And um, I guess maybe that's what it was about. But, I, you know, I, I think you have to see it, and I think we're going to have to talk about it again after you have. Well, I would love to see it. I read about it when it was at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh-huh. It was written and directed by Jim Jarmusch. I still am thinking about his movie Coffee and Cigarettes. I'm not sure I had any insights on that film, but I would love to see Patterson. Yeah, I I, I think we need to revisit it. And I thank you, Diane, so much, because I'm not sure I would have actually gotten to the movie. It's not playing everywhere, but it's playing a little bit in a lot of places. So definitely look it up if you like that intellectual exercise of trying to read between the lines of something. And certainly... 
If you enjoyed Adam Driver, you know, in Girls and in the movie Silence, uh, this is such a different role than he played in in um, in Girls, which shows that he has a breadth of of opportunity in front of him as a as a major actor of our time. He was also in Star Wars. You know, he plays Darth Vader in Star Wars. And I last saw him in This Is Where I Leave You. Well, there you go. So he's uh-huh. on, you know, he's on, a, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a contender. Let's put it that way. So anyway, you've got to find a way to see that. And we've got to definitely discuss it again after you have. So thanks again to Diane for, for putting it in front of me. And, you know, just from Diane's comments about Patterson and another email that we got from our listener, Janet W., about the show we're about to discuss. Hollister, once again, I am just struck at how smart our listeners are. <laughs> They, they have a lot well, of really insightful things to say. Well, as if you're the person to, to judge say. how smart they are, but okay. Let us introduce you to Nina Proudman. This was a show that was recommended to us by one of our listeners, Janet W., and it's called Offspring. It's an Australian television show available now to U.S. viewers on Netflix. Uh-huh. It first aired in Australia in 2010, And they've renewed for a seventh season in Australia. So it's still going on. Brought to us by the people who did the Australian TV show, The Secret Life of Us. And Hollister, I thought of you because that show starred Joel Edgerton, who recently you saw in the movie Loving. Yes. He was the lead, Richard Loving. Exactly. And I liked him a lot. And it was so funny. When you got, when we saw that email, didn't you think, oh my God, it could be another... Another McLeod's daughter. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I was yes. so excited. I was like, not only that, there's six seasons already out. I could take another two weeks off of work and sit here. <laughs> you know, it was one of those things where I, I, you know, such high expectations and they were not dashed. I, at first, I watched 45 minutes and I thought, I'm not sticking with this because the first, the first episode is an hour and a half. And then... I, by the end, I, I'm totally hooked. I'm only, I'm not going to allow myself to binge it. I'm not. My name is Justine Hollister and I'm a binge watcher. Okay. I'm not, I'm not going to binge it. I'm not. I just want to tell you that. Well, Hollister, but, we're having a bit of a role reversal because I started watching and I know Janet told us that it just keeps getting better and better. Oh my God. I enjoyed the pilot. I thought it was like Allie McBeal-ish. If uh-huh. you set Allie McBeal in Melbourne. But the problem Hi, I'm Chris Hamill. It's a new pediatric guy. Everything changed the day Nina met Chris. Nina, you're holding my arm. Layers, layers of people, yes. And you hear her thoughts. She has this rich fantasy life. It reminded me of the show that we both loved, Last Tango in Halifax. Right. If only she had her sister Billy's confidence. She's everything. Nina isn't. Could you help me inside with something for a sec? Yeah, I just want to move this bed um, over to the window. No problem. Hang on, you better take your shirt off. I just don't want to get grass clippings on in Manchester. Where it's funny with a lot of heart, but the family is a mess, but in a comical way, but there's serious issues. And above all else, the quirk factor is very high. Quirky characters, quirky plot lines, there's a little bit of mystery. Oh, and then there's Cherie. She's been Nina's mate for years, but boy, is she carrying a big secret. Far out. Everyone in this quirky family is looking for love, and I loved that about the show. 
Are you going to watch the whole thing? I mean, are you going to keep going? Well, here you are saying that you're not going to binge it. From the moment we got the message from Janet, I sat down and I watched 10, 10 episodes in a row. And what? I thought, I'm just oh like, my gosh. I was like, By I'm way, just she like never Hollister. does that, Janet, just so you know. Never, I never, 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 never. And I, thought, I do become, that, but you don't. Yeah. Well, I remember what you said when you said you first watched McLeod's Daughters and you had to call in sick and you just did. didn't leave your house for I, days. It was winter and thank God there was a blizzard because that took care of one week. But the second week, I'm telling you, I just told people, oh, I'm not well. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I, you know, I couldn't help myself. So yes. Oh my and, gosh. You know, yes. On top of that, you get all the extra boon of the Australian accents, uh-huh. the Australian turns of phrase. So in the opening scene where our protagonist is in a swimming pool and she feels like she bungled her tumble turn. I was like, what is a tumble turn? And then I was like, it's, oh, that by the way, it's a not, it's a, it's a flip turn. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. All the good looking Australian actors, you hear the thoughts going on inside her head. There's creative graphic overlays. Don't say fancy. He's not interested. I'm annoying him. Step away from the gorgeous man. And it raises some existential questions, which you hear sometimes in voiceover. And let me just give you an example. There was one that I just heard last night where all of a sudden you hear the character ask herself, why is there always such a big gap between what is and what should be? I don't know. And there's moments like this that that we we can't answer it, you know. But it gives it depth. And I like the fact that this family goes on these capers. I mean, kudos to whoever keeps coming up with these Uh, fresh plot lines. You know, these plot lines are great, but also the depth of character development is Mm -hmm. really, really strong. And the other thing is, it is the same thing as McLeod's Daughters, because every single character is interesting looking. They're not stunningly beautiful, but they're interesting. They're facial. they, They live a life. You know, you can tell they live a life. They don't just look good, you know. And I just think that their ability to cast these shows is so strong and so interesting. And and I was really happy about that. I just thought, wow, really good. And it's true what you say. Every character is a unique yep. person with unique traits. You don't mix them up, although I love their dynamic. You know what you just said? It, it does remind me it could almost be McLeod's doctors because the dynamic between the two sisters. Yep. Billy and Nina. It is a little Claire and Tessish. Yes. And just a few words about the lead. Nina is played by Asher Ketty, and she's the family fixer. So she's kind of the middle child, is what she is. And they're the spokes. Exactly, exactly. Um, as are we, Hollister. Yeah, both O'Toole and I are middle children. And I, as That's, I used to say, the older one's too old to do the work and the younger one's too young, but the middle child's just right. <laughs> as I was well, raking leaves in the freezing cold while my sisters were inside watching television. I'm not bitter, that though. Is so funny. Well, Asher Ketty, who plays Nina, she's been dubbed the golden girl of Australian television. She's won seven Logies for playing this part from outstanding actress to most popular actress. I want to be her friend. I'd have lunch with her in a heartbeat. You know, I think she's got that face. You know, it's that face. And it's not that face of, oh, my God, I can't take my eyes off you. It's that face of, let's sit down and tell me what's going on. You know, I would rent space inside her head. Some of her thoughts I do find so funny. So even when, you know, the the cute doctor says, you know what, let's just not plan ahead. Let's just meet up at your apartment tonight. And the panic that goes through her head when she remembers what a mess she has left her apartment in. 
So as she calls her brother to see if he can go over and just do the stealth cleanse of her apartment before they get there, and the brother tries to comfort her and says, you know, oh, trust me, he's only going to have eyes for you. And she says, I wish that thought were reassuring. (laughs) And then she starts worrying about her outfit. I find it very funny, and it keeps getting funnier, in my opinion. Well, and the other thing that I have to send a little message to Netflix Okay. okay, I'm somebody who watches Grey's Anatomy on Netflix, West Wing on Netflix, uh, Gilmore Girls on Netflix. Why was this never put in front of me? Like, why, if Janet hadn't emailed us, I don't think we would have known to look at this. I think Netflix probably puts it in front of people from Australia rather than Americans, and they are making big mistakes and not fixing the algorithms inside Netflix because when they tell when they give me shows they think I might want to watch... They totally have no idea who I really am. Like, I want to send them an... Uh, you know, why is this not... Why is Netflix not giving this... It's not in any of their emails, even though it fits totally into the genre in which I am interested. And Hollister, it's a great point, because from the amount of time yes. I spent parked on McLeod's Daughters, you would think they would put everything Australian in <laughs> exactly. front of me. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't understand it. But I do think they need to take a look at that, because... They could probably double the the watch, you know, the people watching this show in America if they put it in front of some, anybody who likes Grey's Anatomy is going to like it. Mm-hmm. Anybody who likes Gilmore Girls is going to like it. There's a lot of similarities in the in the in the structure that would really work for it. So I just want to give that little shout out. Another show it reminded me of, which first aired in the U.S. after this show had already aired in Australia, is Emily Owens, M.D starring Mamie Gummer, Meryl Streep's daughter. When I think about her blonde hair pulled back with the scrubs, I think she looks a lot like Nina in Offspring. But I didn't like that show. You you turned me on to that show, and I watched the first episode, I think, of it, and I just, I I know it didn't even, other people must not have liked it either because it didn't make it past It didn't make it, and yet Justin Hartley played her love interest, who is now the Manny on This Is Us. Well, and the Manny, of course, you know, from This Is Us, I love that, you know, that it's something he can't get away from, but it also helps him live his life. Mm -hmm. Fabulous juxtaposition of that. Yeah. There are some lines in Offspring that I just think are great. Like the mother who looks a lot like Mary McDonnell, when she says to the daughter, I didn't liberate myself, so you'd go running back inside the cage. Just when you don't think there's going to be a funny line or, you know, oh, so this isn't a lunch. You've invited me on a stakeout. I mean, again, these dynamics. But that, by the way, that mother role, I think, is beautifully written with somebody Mm -hmm. who, and whoever wrote it, really does understand the dynamic of the of the left woman, the woman who had to walk away from a, you know, a man, you know, I just, I just think they nailed the pain, but also the strength. And Mm -hmm. I I love her. I think she's an amazing character. And they're all out there seeking at the same time. So when the mother says to the grown son, Jimmy, when she's worried about him, and she says, I've been in a state of controlled panic since the day you could walk. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like it's another great line where I yeah, guess it's true it's all, that parents it's all really, really never you, you cannot, stop worrying about their kids. Yep. The one that plays Billy, the sister, I think she's a very interesting character. And when she's talking about this woman who she thinks only dates older men, and she calls her a sexual archaeologist where she has a taste for fossils, <laughs> 
I do. I find myself laughing and then I find myself thinking. It's a gift we got. It's also shot very well. The cinematographer in this is very, very good. And and the the shots that are painful, he sort of moves back or she moves back a little bit and... uh, and gives you a little room to feel it rather than in your face feeling it. And I, I just think the ability with the camera uh, has been really strong. It's not one way or another. It's not like the walk and talk, you know, on the West Wing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really, really strong. I, I, everything that's about a, it is great. It's a very good point. There are a lot of outdoor shots. So yeah. maybe that's why we're not so confined in one yes. office. Although that balcony where she works as an obstetrician, where she often just goes outside onto that balcony, it reminds me of the Boston legal balcony mixed with the Grey's Anatomy walkway. It's a great moment where the characters can take a pause and yep. have a conversation outside. Well, it's a yeah, it's, it's a great stage for a conversation you want to be memorable. Yeah. So it's really, really well done, and we highly, highly recommend it. And I think we should give the last word to Janet. Okay. Okay. So this is how she describes Offspring. I thought this was so well put. She called it a quirky Australian series that is comedy with a touching, serious side. We're now on season three and finding that it breaks the old adage that sequels or later seasons are not as good. I remember you and Hollister discussing this a few weeks ago. Here are a few thoughts. Love the main character, Nina, played by Asher Ketty, but I don't think that's ever enough to hold my interest. The other primary characters and minor roles must be equally as good, and Offspring does that. Point well taken. Absolutely. You should be coming and podcasting with us. The situations this funky family find themselves in are certainly comedic, but believable enough that it carries the show. Yeah, absolutely. The comedy is interspersed with heartbreaking loss and very real issues, and after all, isn't that what life is? I don't know. I'm hoping that I'm hoping life doesn't have to be that forever. Maybe it can sort of back off a little bit, but okay. And the Australian accent, who wouldn't find that enjoyable? Nobody. And this is her last thing. Offspring is on Netflix and each episode runs about 45 minutes with the exception of the pilot. If you like it enough to give it a try, stick with it. It only improves as it goes along. Uh, Janet, we love you. Tell us what else to watch. Thanks, you guys. 